Welcome everyone to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, the place for learning about the world of alternative passive investments so that you can have more freedom, flexibility, and fun. Before we get to our guest today, if you're ready to kick that billable hour to the curb, start by going to attorneybydesign.com to download the Freedom Blueprint. That will also get you access to the opportunity to partner with us on our next passive commercial real estate investment. We have some truly phenomenal deals coming right around the corner. Now to today's topic, student loans. Something I am particularly sensitive to and not because I have a ton of student loans. I'm, I'm very fortunate to not be buried with that burden even though I was in college for over a decade, but I am sensitive to it because I'm just alarmed by how our society views this debt as perfectly acceptable and even expected. So when you're 17, 18 years old, this country encourages you, expects you to start incurring massive student debt to eventually get a piece of paper, maybe two pieces, to hang on your wall to be a reminder of your great achievement of higher education. But there is no real financial education that comes with this debt. There is no specific counseling that says, maybe you shouldn't go $100,000 in the student debt if you're pursuing a general liberal arts degree. After graduation, you'll be lucky to even make ends meet, let alone pay back a six-figure loan. Now, same goes for law school or medical school. Presumably, you'll finish. Hopefully, you'll get a great paying job. And optimistically, you'll have the discipline to aggressively pay back your massive student debt loans. But the moral of the story is we need more financial education in our traditional school system so that the young folks in this country can make better, more informed decisions about their financial future. Our guest today, Travis Hornsby, is the founder of Student Loan Planner, and he is a student loan escape artist. He helps graduate degree professionals with six figures of student debt optimize their repayment strategies. And he's also a passive income expert who retired for the first time before the age of 25. All right, let's get it started. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra-wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley. Travis, what's going on, brother? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Seth. Excited. Yeah, excited to have you on, man. Talk about something that we don't talk about a lot on the show. We've touched on it a little bit, and that's that student debt. Um, and we'll get into that later. But, uh, you know, let's talk about your story. What is it? Take it back as far as you want, man. I thought I was going to be an economics professor. So I took like some really abstract math classes, and it stopped me from going to watch SEC football. I went to the University of Florida, and uh, I just had no time because I was just spending all that time like working on proofs and stuff. And I was like, this is not for me, man. Like, this is awful. <laughs> and so I was like, what now? And so I just started looking at what people do when they graduate. And I found out that some people get jobs. You know, obviously, some people <laughs> go to law school, right? So I mean, so I, I didn't necessarily have like a strong idea of what grad school I wanted to go to. Uh, 
And so I just was like, I guess I have to get a job. So I just like randomly applied places, ended up at a big investing company, became a bond trader, but then got like super bored with life. Like I was just sort of sitting in my computer, reading messages, doing like similar stuff. It was fun at times for sure, but it was just like corporate culture just graded on me. It just wasn't my thing, right? So I retired at 25. I quit my job, traveled the world, saw 40 countries. My uh, now wife and girlfriend, like I met her like right before I left on this dream trip that I'd planned. Eventually I had to figure out what do I do? Uh, like, do I end this and keep traveling being a digital nomad or do I like settle down because she's a physician? So she, her lifestyle is like way more settled than in one place, right? So I went ahead and I did that. Uh, I made the decision to prioritize that relationship. And so I like moved with her to Missouri and um, my, uh, my in-laws, so she's Asian American. My in-laws kind of threatened that, hey, this whole like early retirement thing, it's like, it's not okay. Like <laughs> we're not, we're, they're like, we're not going to come to the wedding unless you get a job. And, uh, and I was like, well, I don't like need one right now. I'm kind of blogging, writing, like doing interesting things. that just don't happen to pay because I don't need it to, right? Like I've saved up plenty of money. And, uh, and they're like, yeah, but I'm just going to say what they said. Okay. Like they said like, well, you know, we have a word for that. It's called eaters of soft white rice. And, you know, basically when the woman works and the man sits at home and doesn't do like, you know, paid work, you know, he, you know, that's the joke is like, you're an eater of soft white rice. And so I, I was like, that's pretty bad, you know, uh, you know, to be, to be called that. And like, plus to have them say they weren't going to come to the wedding. So I realized like my little side hobby of like working on like student loan projects, like probably should be a thing. Like it probably should be much bigger than what I was doing. So I really focused on it at that point, like more so than I had. And then the focus really is what helped propel that. Uh, because I just felt like people weren't getting good student loan advice, weren't, I didn't have good like calculators, tools, resources to pay back student debt in the way they needed. Um, and, and like, didn't have tools to like make student loan debt, not something that holds them back in life. That's cause, cause that's what we did when, when my wife had a lot of medical school debt, we made a plan for how to pay it back. And it's a lot, lot more complicated than like the typical, like Susie Orman, Dave Ramsey type advice. It just almost doesn't even apply when you're talking about six figure student loans. So that's what I did. I started student loan planner and, and, uh, you know, after, for like five years, we've advised about like 1.3 billion for about um, 5,000 or 6,000 clients. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, just not exactly how I expected things to happen, but that's how it happened. Yeah, that's a crazy story, man, with the, <laughs> the in-laws and everything. That's pretty wild. Um, let's rewind a little bit. Tell me about how you were able to retire at 25. What did that look like? I mean, you obviously had a really good job. How were you able to step away at that <laughs> young age? Well, being single and having a totally different <laughs> expectation of what my life was going to look like than I do now. Right. So I was single. I had no kids. I had no responsibilities. Uh, I spent 16,000 a year. So like you multiply that number by 25 and it's like fairly easy to get to that number. Uh, if yeah. you're like really frugal and making a decent, like five or six figure income, you can get to that number pretty quickly. If you're really, especially back in the early 2010s, where you had the stock market doing like 20, 30% in some of those years, right? Like you had this huge tailwind. Yeah. Uh, and so I just got to like some like mid six figure range of, of, of savings and just felt like I didn't need to work with that. And so I did that, but then I got married and like, I don't know, man, like dresses are like $200 and like, you know, you get like, <laughs> you know, like I used to ask to like split Chipotle burrito bowls, like between the two of us, so we could save money. And that's like, not a thing that's like societally acceptable, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, in real life, I think what happens is you go through this change for some people that are like kind of real frugal types, like in your 20s to 30s where you have kids, get married, and then suddenly it's not all about you anymore. 
And that's really like what I like to say is like, I went from that phase of it being all about me to it being all about my family. Right. Uh, So we have like a little 10 month old now, and it's just like a different lifestyle, but it's still a good lifestyle. It's just very different from me. Like, you know, hitchhiking in like the middle of Ukraine during like a a war. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Do you still consider yourself retired even though you have this big business now? I mean, I'm not right. Like to say that I am would be like fake, fake news, you know, but, uh, but I, I would consider myself doing what I want to do, uh, which is both good and bad because I mean, this is going to sound extremely privileged, but it's like when you don't have a structure to your day and you can literally do anything, that's both good and bad. Like at least when I had my corporate job, it was like, Oh, I'm doing this. Like, and that was like a structure to the week. And like, when I had like miserable things I had to do, like I could look forward to the weekend going out with buddies to get a beer. And now it's sort of like, well, I can get a beer like whenever I want, but like, I'm the only guy free to do it. So it's like, you know, (laughs) you're trying to find people like that you can be friends with and have like similar oddball lifestyles. Right. But, uh, I don't know. I mean, like I work, weird hours, right? Like some weeks I'll work like a ton and some weeks I won't work much at all. And I think that that's kind of, I guess, the nature of having a small business where it's not just you as the principal doing everything. Like I think some people might have their own, their own practices, right? And they're like, man, like I'd love to not trade time for money. I think that's the dream of like a passive income seeker, right? <laughs> Is to not right, trade right. Little, little time for money. And I think that the best advice I would give just like in general for that is you have to trade time for money early on, but then you can build things up and scale it to where you're not needed anymore. So I feel like that's the key for passive income outside of like just index funds is how do you build the system and process in place where if, if you get hit by a bus, the business would still keep running. And I think that's probably where there's a huge opportunity for a lot of attorneys that they could, they could maybe scale that to that next level where they're not needed to be in the office every day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you've got to put time in somewhere, right? I mean, you, you've got to put time in, whether it's from your active income job, uh, to start building, you know, passive income streams from something that might be completely passive, like a real estate syndication or, you know, index funds or something like that. Or if you want to, you know, scale your side hustle, that's going to take some time. Even if you're out of the office, it's going to take some time to scale that, build those systems out until, like you said, you're able to step away a little bit. Yeah, I think that the, the processes is not something I'm very good at, though. Like I'm a very disorganized person. Like if you could see the side of my office over here, I've got like all this crap over there. And you know, how did, how did this guy build something with systems and processes, right? When I can barely follow them, like in my personal life, well, I hired somebody to do it, right? I'm very bad at like systematization and processes and stuff like that. But the good news is if you have certain skills that are valuable, like maybe knowing the law or knowing like a specific kind of transaction that you can do really well and like explain it in layman's terms to people where you're, you've got that revenue producing skill, you can go out and hire the other stuff that you're not good at. And that's why I see a lot of people fail is they're like, I got to do everything or, oh, I can't spend that money on X, Y, Z, right? Like, yeah, I might have to cut back my expenses, but the way I look at it is like, if I can afford it, then I should be doing it because it saves me a lot of time and and mental energy. Yeah. People have a hard time delegating. That's for sure. Especially at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you don't have the revenues. So it's like, I can't, I mean, I definitely don't suggest delegating if you're like in the red, like, I think that that's really stressful for people where you're like, you know, you're burning through personal cash flow and also business cash flow. Like you're not going to be able to do that very long. Right. So I always tried, like when I was growing my business to like spend a percentage of your revenues, like for us, we try to target like a 30% profit margin. So if I have like, you know, a higher profit margin than that, then I have extra funds that I can spend. And, uh, and if I don't, then I have to cut back. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense, man. Let's, let's jump into your current business. What does that look like? You had mentioned student loan planner. 
Tell us about that business. We give advice on how to pay back student loans in the most efficient way. And that might sound like really easy, but it's actually not. And so let me give you an example. Say like someone's a big law associate, first year, 1L making 200 grand. Um, you know, most people don't stick with that, right? Most people at some point go off of that and go into corporate or in-house or they go and off and do their own thing. Or maybe they even exit to like a different like industry even, like, uh, you know, like finance or something like that. Um, so here's the traditional knowledge or thought. You have... 300,000 of law school debt, and you've got to pay it off. And you have to stick around big law until it's gone, and then you can make your career change, right? Well, that's suboptimal. That's really suboptimal for a lot of reasons. You might hate your life. Like, you might be working 80 hours a week and, like, you know, be giving up your 20s and 30s or whatever for, for like, you know, money. And that's a terrible feeling. That'll really hurt your mental health, you know? Yeah. Uh, so instead, what, what, what's, like, the alternative? Well, the alternative is you could take some of that 200 grand and you could save and invest and try to seed money for whatever the thing is that you want to do. Maybe it's starting your own business. Maybe it's, you know, buying a house. Maybe it's, you know, whatever your goals are, getting married, you know, travel, whatever. And then when you're like, when you've reached those goals where you have enough to cover like six months expenses or something, then you can turn in your notice with 300,000 of student loan debt. And you might say, hey, how, how can I do that? Well, student loan debt at its worst is a tax. And what do I mean by a tax? I mean, it's 10% of your income. It's pretty likely that after 20 years, they're going to forgive it without any tax implications on the forgiven balance. Right, right now, if you're talking about debts are forgiven that are 20 years from now, they're, they're going to be taxed as income. So the way to handle that is to save 5 to 10% into an investment account every month to prepare for that eventual tax liability. So in other words, you can structure that student loan as a 15 to 20% quote unquote tax on your income, but it's only your taxable income and you get a big deduction. So in other words, for somebody that goes off and starts their own law firm, they might make a small amount of money for like several years. Well, you're paying like 10% or 15% of basically nothing, right? So the actual cost of the student loans is almost nothing. Whereas if you pay $3,000 a month in your student loans, you have to work for big law, you have no choice, Right. So I guess a lot of what we do is sort of just optimize it, like life optimization, where the student loan debt has the lowest overall cost and the lowest impact on what your goals are, what your lifestyle is. And there's even like state-specific rules, like being in California or something, that make your ability to, to pay less than those student loans even greater. So it's like people either need to pay it back with like refinancing, or they need to go for forgiveness. Those are the two good options available to people. And, and we can really, I think our average client saves about $64,000 uh, just from our like one hour consult that costs a few hundred dollars. Wow. Wow. So you don't necessarily prescribe to an aggressive approach. It's like, okay, let me, every single dollar that I make, I'm going to pay off this debt as soon as I possibly can. It depends, right? It depends on the person. I mean, that, that would be like saying um, every, I don't know, like every person that has cancer that comes into my like my medical office, I'm going to operate on them. Well, that, that would be bad, right? But that's the kind of like advice that people give about debt, which is like pretty horrendous, you know? I mean, there's yeah. not a one size fits all answer. And the reason there's not a one size fits all answer is because the rules for student loans are different. They're just different. It's like comparing apples and oranges. Like if you're looking at credit cards, you know, you can settle that, you know, you can write, you know, you can aggressively pay it off. You can side, get side hustles and get rid of it quickly, right? But that's like five, ten thousand dollars that you might be delinquent on, right? Or twenty thousand you might be delinquent on. 
we're talking about 200,000, you know, 300,000 for law school in some cases, right? And law school debt is forgivable through paying based on your income for a fixed number of years, either through something like public service loan forgiveness or just the general forgiveness available to everyone, regardless of your job. And so it's a different kind of debt. And yet all of the generic personal finance advice gets applied to it because this is such a new problem that hasn't been around for decades. It's only been around for really like 10, 20 years because basically the government got involved in student loans and made it so that you could borrow unlimited amounts based off of the cost of your program instead of capping it. And that change happened in 2006. So we haven't really seen the massive forgiveness yet because it hasn't really been 20 years. But once we start seeing like 20 years post people's graduation from law school, you're going to see this mass wave of forgiveness and it's going to be mostly paid for by the government. And that's going to really significantly add to like the national debt. And that, those are like big considerations to debate. Like what are we going to do about that problem that'll happen yeah. like decades from now, but like, that's what's going to happen. And so your taxes will probably be raised to pay for student loan forgiveness and programs at some point in the future. So you might as well optimize that now so that you are aware of that. So you don't like make a bunch of mistakes paying it back. Yeah. So what is that 20 year forgiveness? I don't even know about that. The 20 year general forgiveness, not the public service piece. That's called pay as you earn or revised pay as you earn. So pay as you earn is the same income based programs you use for public service loan forgiveness, but PSLF is a specific case of forgiveness. It'd be like saying like it's a, a specific type of divorce versus just the broad category of divorce or something. Right. So like, I don't know. I mean, just random idea, but, but, uh, but pay as you earn, you can pay 10% of your income. And if it's for PSLF, it's for 10 years. But if you're just working like not at all, like sitting in your couch, then it's for 20. So in other words, the 20 year case is like no conditions on it. You just have to be on pay as you earn paying 10% of your income for 20 years. At the end of that period, your, your debt is forgiven, but it's taxed as if it were income. Now there's a temporary provision in place where any of that is forgiven tax-free if it happens by 2025. That's going to expire and they'll either renew that or they'll let it lapse. And so under the current law, anybody forgiven past 2025, that debt would be forgiven. It would be taxable income. Um, yeah. So like if you just look at the math behind that, it's as simple as yeah. building a model and predicting someone's future earnings and then looking at the cost of paying it back and the cost of forgiveness and figuring out which one's cheaper. Gotcha. Gotcha. Let's run through a couple scenarios there, common ones, I guess, for, for attorneys. And you, you mentioned this first one already, but let's say, you know, you're working in big law, you're miserable, you want to get out, you want to, but you don't hate law, you just hate working in that corporate type of environment, you want to start your own law firm. And probably right off the bat, you might bring a couple clients with you, you might not, you're not gonna be making a lot of money. What does that kind of student debt repayment look like if, if they have a lot of student debt, and they're kind of a little bit unsure if they can even do it? Yeah. So like I would say first is your long-term projected income going to be greater or less than what you owe. So that's just a reality check, like conversation to have with yourself. Like what are your income goals? Like, and what are your realistic income goals? So let's say, you know, you want to work in like quasi public interest law or like immigration law where your clients can't afford to pay you like a ton, right? Like, and you know, you're going to make maybe a hundred thousand or something like that. Well, if you have less than 100,000 of student loan debt, then probably a good strategy would be to refinance to a really extended term, like 20 years. I'm getting like three something percent fixed rates for people refinancing for 20 year fixed for big law right now. That's really good. Like you could get a, a low payment on a hundred grand of debt, maybe at like, maybe like 600 a month or 500 a month or something like that. 
And so then you just want to have that extra couple years of payments saved up just in case something happens so that you can still afford to make that payment, right? That's if you have like less than your income and debt. If you have more than your income and debt, you want to keep it federal because you can pay 10% of your, your income. And when your income falls, you can get that payment updated to reflect your new lower income. And it's most likely going to happen that if you have more debt than income long-term, that that's going to be forgivable. So what I would say is like the big law person that hates it wants out, the great news is with the right knowledge and the right plan, you could do that actually right now instead of waiting around until you've achieved debt freedom, which is what a lot of people say you need to do. Gotcha. That's interesting. That, that's probably really interesting to people that are listening and they, they want out. Like, you know, they're miserable. They're trying to get out and they want to do something else. And that might be start their own practice or it might be, you know, a, a different business or a, a different profession altogether. So, and, and they feel trapped because of that student debt. Well, let me say this too, like with passive income, like in my experience, like when a lot of people say they want passive income, they, what they really want is they want to do something different. Yeah. <laughs> like they, I, like they, it's not necessarily like that they want, like, I mean, obviously everybody loves the idea of like some check just showing up on their doorstep or something. They have to, don't have to do anything. Right. But like real estate still work, you know, like, I don't know, like starting your own business is still work. Like, you know, doing something outside of law, it's still work. But maybe like you just decided that you don't want to literally be a traditional brick and mortar in an office lawyer. Maybe that's what you're saying, right? And so just to use a broader example than big law, like somebody goes to work in-house counsel making 100000 a year or some medium-sized law firm where it's very like predictable life, you can exit that too. And you have the backup of paying 10% of your income under one of these programs so that you can afford to take that risk. Because if you go off and your income is zero, your payments are literally zero, right? I'll give you just an extreme example. Let's say that uh, you've got a, somebody who uh, doesn't want to live in America anymore. They've met some beautiful Australian person, guy or girl, and they want to move there to be with that person, right? So there's this random exclusion where you can exclude up to 100000 of income earned abroad and claim $0 on your U.S. tax return. Since your student loan payment is based on your U.S. tax return, that could result in you paying $0 a month on your student loans without being in default. And you would have that completely forgiven after 20 years of payments, probably with zero tax liability. So in other words, you could literally move to Australia, become an Australian citizen, and pay absolutely nothing on your student loan debt and live the life you want right now. Wow. That's, that's the stuff that people don't know about, man. That's why you're here, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like, it's weird stuff. And then if you're married, you can file your taxes different ways to get a payment lower. So if you're married, you generally have to include your spouse's income in your calculated payments. But if you file separately, you can exclude your spouse's income from those payments. You know, and you, you want to look at like, is it going to cost you more or less to file separately? And if it's way less than the, the, the savings on the student loans and you want to file separately. So there's all these little nuances, right? I think the, like, I don't want to get too technical. Like the broad thing should be like, you're listening to this show because you want something more right? You want something more for yourself than just like sitting in an office for 30 years, having a 401k and retiring as 55 or 60, 65, right? So identify like what that hole is in your life. Like maybe it's trying something new and make a plan so that the pseudo loans don't have to be that thing that held you back from making that dream and taking that like risk. Yeah. I love that piece, man. Cause again, a lot of times people are just, they have these, you know, $200,000 in student debt. And they're like, I've, like you said, at the very beginning of the show, that holds them back. They're like, I have to stay in this job until that is paid off. And once that's paid off, then I'll go and do whatever I want to do, or that's what they're thinking. And then they probably never end up doing it. But that's just kind of the mindset going into it. 
That makes sense. I mean, like, I think they're, listen, like if somebody feels better doing that, then sure. Right. But, but I think that the, like the, because that makes people have the psychological permission to go take a risk. That's really what it's about. It's like, okay, I paid off my education. That thing is no longer holding me back. I could do anything now. And now they feel like they can go off and do what they want to do. I mean, the, the, the good news though, is you don't have to wait for that. You, you know, you can speed that process up a lot more. And like, let me just say, like, if I had stuck around, so like, let's use my, myself as a case study. Like I make a lot more now than I did when I was working. Right. If I had waited to quit my job, if I had stuck around for like 10 years in corporate America, I probably never would have taken a risk and started my business because then I would have had kids and a mortgage and I would have been too risk averse to do that. Right. So it's kind of like the, the real danger honestly is waiting. Like there is a massive, massive understated risk of waiting to do the thing that you want to do because the opportunity won't necessarily always be there. And everybody always looks at, well, what if I like don't progress to the next level at my job? Like I missed out that on that, like that was a big cost. Yeah, but like that's a defined cost. Like we know that that's like a certain risk. Like the thing is, you don't know what the risk is on the upside. Like yeah. you're potentially giving away happiness and excitement and joy in your job. And that's like the best thing ever. So as long as you have like some savings and most people do now because the COVID pandemic ended up being not bad financially for a lot of high income people as we thought it would be. Then, then now's the time to take that risk of the world opening back up and, and just go for it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think you're going to hear a lot more about it now that people are being forced to go back into the office after they've been working from home for over a year. And they're like, oh, now I remember why I hated this shit. <laughs> yeah, like I read like Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan Goldman, like they're saying like everybody's got to go back and a lot of people don't want to do that. And so now they're like hiring lawyers as investment bankers because like, lawyers want something different so they're like okay i'll try out banking because it's different you know <laughs> but it's like very much the same culture right of being in the big yeah. office and coming in and being you know uh yeah so I, I like i hope that people realize there's alternatives and like even for people that know how to use a website like it's amazing to me how lawyers are so bad at like website marketing and it's probably like partly due to like restrictions right with like bar associations or something but like Lawyers don't even just blog. Like a lot of lawyers could make so such good businesses by like just blogging a lot about a very narrow thing consistently and making sure your website's able to be found in Google. And eventually people will start finding you and trying to hire you because of your very narrow specific expertise. I mean, it really is quite stunning to me like that more people don't try that out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially in the legal field, I mean, it can get very specialized. If you can find a way to take that specialty knowledge part down to something that people can understand and, and read about, you know, they, they'll Google you and find that blog and you can monetize that. Yeah. But, you, but people have to do it. And people yeah. don't, right. People are, people don't do it or podcasting even. I mean, anybody can get a podcast and hire a podcast editor on like a Fiverr, you know, Upwork kind of freelance site and then post that up regularly. And then you might get clients from that. We get a lot of clients from our podcast, the, the Sue Lone Planner podcast that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's jump into another common scenario that I get a lot. It's kind of like, okay, they're paying, a, someone's paying a lot of uh, student debt. Like they're, they're kind of doing it aggressively though. They're like, okay, I make such percentage uh, that I'm going to put away towards student debt so you can get rid of it quickly. And then they're presented with an investment opportunity, whatever it might be, maybe invest in this business, invest in real estate, uh, start aside, whatever it might be. Uh, and the returns are going to be obviously more than probably that interest rate, or at least the promised returns. I mean, what kind of advice do you give them for that? 
Well, so here's the thing. A lot of the people that work through our site don't ever pay us anything. In fact, we pay them. And what I mean by that is anyone who refinances a six-figure amount of student debt through our site can get a bonus of up to $1,000 cash. And so like studentloanplanner.com slash refi, we've got all these different banks that we've built these relationships with where that person that wants to aggressively pay off their debt could use the refinancing ladder strategy. And to explain what this is, it's specifically made for that kind of a case where somebody wants to have flexibility and have a lot of cash they can do other things with while also getting interest rate savings. So what you do is you do like a 20-year fixed with the refinancing deal. And how much debt does this person have, Seth? Uh, Say 200,000. 200,000. So you do a 20-year fixed, 1,200 a month at like a three and a half percent interest rate. This is just off the top of my head, okay? And you get you know, $1,000 cash back for using student loan planners links. So $1,200 a month is like really not that much. And every time you get additional money, you don't know what to do with, you put it into the debt. So if you're getting really aggressive with that debt, that debt's going to fall quite, quite fast. And so now let's say you get down to 100,000 of debt. Well, now you could refinance to a 10-year term with a different bank and get another $1,000 bonus cash while cutting your rate from 3.5% to 3%. Now, why is that a good thing? Remember that monthly payment that I said, $1,200 for starters? If you had done a five-year refinancing term right away, then your monthly payment would have been $4,000 a month. And when this investment opportunity comes up, too bad you've already committed to paying $5,000 a month on your student loans and you have no flexibility at all, right? Whereas this like refinancing ladder strategy, you get these multiple cash bonuses, you get the lower interest rate, and you get that flexibility of paying a lot more on the loans to knock down the balance to keep that payment low so that if the economy does crash, your position gets eliminated, or you have an awesome investment opportunity that you need cash for, uh, or you know home renovation you want to do, you can take that money and use it on those things and continue paying the student loans slow until you get cash where it's like, you don't really have a good home for it. Okay, student loan debt can be a great default choice. Yeah, yeah, interesting, man. Yeah, so you could, yeah, it's almost like a little bit of arbitrage there, uh, but in a different way than I was kind of describing. Yeah, and like I said, yeah, and then the last step on that ladder is a five-year variable where you can get a rate like 1.8 or something so low, but you don't want to start with that variable five-year rate because then you just could get yourself into a bind where your life, options are less because you've committed to so much of a monthly payment. Mm-hmm. So these are things people don't think about, right? And, and like, these are people like that do this, they just go to our site and they just click on the, the links and apply. They don't necessarily pay us, right? So like, I would say the people that are obvious, like pay it off, like just, you know, you have those, those resources that you can use like on your own. You don't need to talk to us or anything. And then the people who are like, I really don't know what I'm doing. Like, this is all technical to me. Like, this podcast is just, like, totally gone over my head because this is, like, uh, like numbers. Like, that's why I became a lawyer. There's some people yeah. like that, right? And I, I could never do the law. So, like, you know, it's it's each person has their skills, right? Yeah. So that, that person is, like, who the consult is built for, where you hire an expert like us. We've done thousands of plans. We explain it all to you in layman's terms, like, your individual situation, not, like, the generic advice. Yeah. And that's the few hundred dollar service. So we've got the free service where you're just doing it on your own and make probably getting cash bonuses. And then we've got that paid service. That's pretty affordable where we're just making the plan to show you what to do. And that's, and we have the free stuff, which a lot of people just tell me they just use all of our free stuff and don't 
talk to us, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> all good. All good. Right. What would you tell people that are kind of sitting on the sideline and they're like, you know, I'm just going to wait till Joe Biden or whatever politician comes in the office and they're just going to forgive me of all my student debt. So I'm just going to pay the very minimum than I, than I have to. I mean, that would be like, you've got a client that'd be, well, I'll, I'll give you an, an analogy, right? So like, you've got some sort of client that's being pursued by the IRS or like some bank. Right. And they're just like, Oh, I'm just going to sit around and like something good will happen. Right. Like I'm just, I'm just going to wait for, you know, JP Morgan to offer me this settlement offer maybe in five years. And maybe if it's good, I'll just like take it. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah, you can do that. Like literally like maybe we'll, we will get resolved, but it's almost assuredly going to get resolved in a bad way. Like compared to if you, proactively look at it right so that's what i would say is like that's kind of the let the world happen to me kind of approach and that's like a, an approach to get burned like that's not a that's not a smart approach like politicians are not going to forgive this like if they are going to forgive something it's going to be ten thousand per person and that's not going to wipe away law school debt the the income-based program is the way the government has set up to handle big debts for lawyers it's 10 percent of your income 20 years then it's gone right They'll probably make the tax bomb go away. They'll probably make that tax exempt. So yeah, if you're completely clueless and you're paying 10% of your income for 20 years, you probably don't have to worry about it. It probably will just be taken care of for you. But while you were doing that, you paid way too much because you didn't like look at loopholes. You didn't file separately for taxes. You didn't save for retirement. You didn't lower your AGI. You didn't start your business, lower your AGI through business tax reduction, like all these different things. You just paid way too much and didn't live the life you wanted. So yeah. that's, that's, that's what I would say to that. Yeah. So really taking that proactive approach to things and trying to get this thing taken care of um, through the different loopholes, through the different strategies you guys, have, you guys have come up with, well, not even come up with, but at least enlighten people of, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, some of these things are not intuitive. Like some of these yeah. things, like we've developed talking to thousands of people, right? Like I didn't realize things like community property loopholes existed. So for example, in California, you can split income 50, 50 down the middle. So if somebody's married to a stay-at-home spouse, not working, making an income, you can cut that income in two. So a lawyer making 100000 paying 10% of their income might be paying $800 a month. Well, if you file separately for taxes in a community property state, maybe you could get that 800 a month down to 300 a month. So the person's paying 300 a month on their student loans instead of 800 a month. And it's only because they didn't know California state income tax law that they didn't know that was an option. Interesting. That's well, there. There you go. There's where community property uh, comes into play and actually helps you out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Like, I, I, you know, you, you know, the Hollywood stories of, you know, George Clooney getting screwed. Yeah. Right. But there's there are some positive like middle class beneficiaries of, of those things. <laughs> All right, man. Before we jump into the Freedom Four, what's one last golden nugget for our listeners? Just don't let student loans hold you back. Take the risk that you want to take now. It will if not pay off. It'll make life worth living. That's really important. Awesome. Awesome. All right, let's jump into the Freedom Four. It's time for the Freedom Four. What's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy? Try to snack healthy snacks throughout the day instead of junk food. <laughs> there we go. Do what you, do what you can yeah. do, man. I mean, I've got right. this big bag of like nuts in my office that I try to eat like small instead of like going out and getting like junk food from the vending machine. Like it's like, I don't know. It's probably like a terrible answer, but it's probably what I do. Hey, whatever works, man. What's one life hack, technology, or otherwise you use to be your most productive self? Text expander is really helpful. It's this little tool where you can put in like your own abbreviations and like 
things will populate into an email or into different things. Like, you know, you can use it on like an iPhone too, which is helpful. So like whenever you're typing out like your email address constantly, or you're, you know, you're some sort of like form paragraph or something, it's just a, a great thing that eliminates the need to physically type things out. Nice. Nice. What's one actionable step our listeners can do right now to start creating more freedom? I would say contribute 5% to a retirement account and a hundred a month to a non-retirement account because retirement accounts are going to allow you to retire after age 60, but you can't retire at, you know, before age 60, unless you have a non-retirement accounts that you can pull out without paying penalties. So you have to have both accounts. If you do both of those things, you'll increase your retirement date significantly. And then if you really overfund that investment account, uh, non non-retirement investment account, you can retire in your fifties or forties. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, how has passive income made your life better? I mean, I mean, I'm just going to say it. I played two hours of video games today. Like, and it's like a work day. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty terrible. I mean, I shouldn't admit that on a podcast, it's like terrible. Right. But like, I mean, it's, it's nice to have that flexibility, right? I'll also yeah. spend more time with my daughter than I would otherwise uh, go on more vacations. So it's definitely a life changer. Yeah. Yeah. The flexibility and the freedom is where it's all at, man. If you want to play video games, play with your daughter, whatever it might be, that that's what it's all about. Sometimes you need that mental break, man, you know, changing diapers that, uh, constantly. It's tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Travis, it's been great, man. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Studentloanplanner.com. That's the website you'll find everything at. And then if you want to listen to a podcast, the Student Loan Planner podcast is where to start. Sweet, man. It's been great having you on, man. Delivered tons of value, man. Thanks so much for having me, Seth. Hi, brother. Appreciate it. All right, kiddos, that was Travis Hornsby. Wow, I learned a ton today about how to minimize the impact of your student loans. If you have student loan debt, reach out to Travis today to put a winning strategy together. I love his story, particularly because he discovered financial freedom so early in his life. I personally would have loved to have had that vision so early in my own life, but we all have our own path to choose. Major key, for those of you who are parents out there, give your kiddos some real financial education because they're not going to get it from traditional school systems. Empower them. Let them know there's more than nine to five till 65. There's entrepreneurship. There's a world of alternative investing. There's financial freedom and it's achievable. All right, let's start buying back some of that precious time. If you're interested in partnering with us on our next passive real estate deal, go to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com and join our Esquire Passive Investor Club. Until next time, folks, enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.